I've ferried 221 souls across the river of death, and I can already tell my 222nd is going to be a real shit kicker. I know by the lightness of the manila folder in my hand, the preemptive pity in the courier's face as she gives it to me. I read the typewritten card paper, paper clipped to the front with my stomach tensed, braced for the sucker punch. Lightning recap. In Hugo-nominated short story, Mr. Death by Alex E. Harrow, a grim reaper has to decide the course of another's life and his own afterlife. Oh my God, you've got a little time. Oh my God, we've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. We are live as in living, uh, here in beautiful places where we are. It's rolling up on the warmer time of spring, and it just makes me feel like I should read a story that deals with death. What, what story should I read that deals with death? You should read Mr. Death by Alex E. Harrow, which you'll be surprised to hear, I know this is going to shock you, deals with death. That's right. It also deals with being Hugo nominated. Uh, at subtext for all of the next few stories, um, and as as am I. Maybe I have mentioned that lately, um, but but I think this story in particular speaks to a whole bunch of things throughout the world, not only of science fiction and fantasy, but also absurdism and surrealism. It's this idea that the big picture of consciousness, that is the soul, applies to a bureaucratic set of rules. (laughs) And that idea should ease ourselves into this process, believing, oh, the whole, you know, there is a manila envelope that has my due date on it and i'll end up in something greater and you would think that but for me it doesn't still just as scared somehow bureaucracy and red tape actually makes even death worse (laughs) i've actually um i've I've taken this approach in the past of the grim reaper my very first agented novel was about uh grim reapers basically they like they, they even have a grim reaper convention Ooh. And that's how uh, corporate it is. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I really appreciated the approach of taking something that is familiar and frustrating to us. And that is bureaucracy and the plotting day-to-day minutia of a job, the little details, the forms, the papers, etc., and applying it to something that terrifies many of us, um, like death. And something that is, is overwhelming and almost impossible to conceptualize, like grief. And applying that, and it, it, you're right, it does actually, I mean, it's a wonderful story. But it, still, it makes the feelings inside of you, you know, the, the things that you feel, makes them worse. In a good way. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of the works of uh, Charlie Strauss and uh, also the River of London series by that guy 
whose name I cannot remember for the life of me. Um, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. He's Scottish, I think. Aronson? No, something like that. But uh, they they apply the same thing to usually it's police departments. But here having this, you know, life and death agency, it reminds me also of the film Defending Your Life by Albert Brooks. Oddly, my first date film. Uh, <laughs> It's a weird one to have for a first date. But one of the things that uh, Alex Harrow does so well is confronts us with a big, scary sadness. And having it happen this week with the recent events, it's the literal death of a two-year-old. Um, yeah. And that's, that's heavy. Um, this but, was not timed. This was not planned. This just happened to be our across the bear that we had to read this during a time of great sadness. Yeah. And uh, I spent a lot of time hugging my little guys. Um, but yeah, they're so cute. Aww. They didn't pee on me, though. That was nice. Um, the, <laughs> the thing is that with the way that the story unravels, it, it is at once depressing because our main character is struggling with what their role in the universe is and they are the ones who are to ferry he's going to ferry the dead child across the river sticks I guess we're supposed to sort of use that imagery um, to the other side and I love also the use of a corporate slogan for life and death and the creepers um do you stay and become nothing or do you uh, go across and be with everything? I think that's a, you know, the great, <laughs> if I were about life and death, I would definitely come up with a really good slogan. <laughs> yeah. I want that slogan on a t-shirt, but there's definitely this feeling of throughout the story, uh, this idea that he doesn't know our, our Reaper friend here he's supposed to be guiding people towards the afterlife towards what comes next, but he doesn't know what comes next. Well, that is a good point. And it's interesting that, you know, it's not a religion specific form of afterlife. And I think that is fascinating unless we actually believe our religion is bureaucracy which I am willing to consider. Um, but yeah, there are elements of, you know, ferrying across the river, that's uh, Greek myth and Roman mythology. We have uh, elements of the guardian angel and the uh, reaper of death, both of which very much uh, old school Christian. And there's some paganism in there too. So, I mean, there's all these sort of things playing and she synthesizes it so well. And that's what I love about Aletero's work is she, she synthesizes concept so well into single stream stories that feel very, very compact. And at the same time, give you little hooks that if you wanted to, you could really spiral off into. Absolutely. Yeah. There's it's, it's compact, but it's also like dense with feeling and with, with emotion. And I think that that's one of the things that makes it such a stunner of a story. Is it just, it just the entire time you're, you're really 
wanting to see because this is literally life and Mr. Death, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's poignant. And I do think those little hooks that are, are given along the way are another big part of what, what really pulls you in and keeps you reading aside from the natural suspense because this is, this is a unique world and the, the world building is done subtly and smoothly, but it's definitely a different world than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And as it goes, this is a story where we are waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole way through. And to maintain that is actually kind of difficult. Now, one of the ways she does that is by, uh, she sort of chunks it at points. And there are a couple of very short, I guess you'd call them interludes, that sort of push back what you think is going to be inevitable. And in the end, wait a minute, it's entirely evitable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was super evitable and I still didn't evit it. Um, it's... <laughs> It's big. I, I like those interludes too. I, I like that idea of not racing at breakneck speed towards the end, but allowing some breathing room for the reader to sit and consider what has happened and what could happen, even as the characters are considering that. I think that really actually amps up suspense and makes it more of a whole. You know, it's not just, it, it, it makes it more, I don't know, I guess expensive. It's not cheap suspense. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good way to look at it, that you are, you are expending thought and time to get to what you think is going to be, because the entire way through, I'm going, yeah, okay, this, the kid's going to die, I'm going to be depressed, and I'm going to go drink, uh, and instead it's like, uh, oh, wait a minute, this is happiness, and now I get to drink. Uh, <laughs> yes and also expensive suspense is a, a good exercise for if you're preparing for any sort of public speaking oh uh, yeah i hate suspense do it a lot you do right here with me this every week wait what oh this is going to be out on the internet people are going to hear this with their ears i think i have some numbers that prove that wrong um, <laughs> We end up with a beautifully simple ending. And it is beautiful, comma, and simple. Uh, the, last, the last sentence alone is, it's not quite tear-jerking, but it's getting towards tear-jerking. Yeah, there were was, there was some tears about to jerk or something um when i finished the story hey you introduced us to this you you started it and yeah it definitely it was it was just about to turn into crying but there was just enough lightness in that ending to make it better uh to help to help unjerk the tears as it were <laughs> and yeah you know i'm a sucker for endings i think this is one of the one of the best endings we've read on the show it's it just really uh i didn't edit it i didn't edit it one bit <laughs> and i thought that the uh what was the other story we read that has a very similar premise to this um i cannot remember for the life of me if only there was a database of information stored on, on computers around the world 
<laughs> that actually listed all of the things that we have talked about, all yeah. the stories. Uh, not the Lady or the Tiger, the stuff that happened at Owl Creek Bridge. Oh, was it like Brokeback Mountain? No, it's one of those. The Sin Eater. Oh, the Sin Eater. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. They both have, they both revolve around uh, death. And yeah, we'll go ahead and with what your comparison is. Well, my thought is that it is two characters who are living in visible to us and understandable as as human type sort of characters but are actually beyond that and their interactions with life and death becomes really really apparent i think the difference is the sin eater dwells more in the darkness and kind of gets more dark as you go along (laughs) yep 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 while here it dwells on the edge of the darkness trying to pull us towards a lightness and it manages to do that absolutely yeah I like I love how it does that it 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 definitely I was not expecting any sort of a light ending for how everything went so it it felt especially gratifying to get that in the end and I think really was was quite well done and made me feel like I was rewarded for all the the time spent being sad we also call those our teenage years. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Hey, hey, Chris, you got anything else on this one? Uh, no, I think that's about all I have. I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's it, it would be in top consideration for my vote. Oh, hello. Well, then, you know what? We, yes. should, we should read something next week. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Next week... Or maybe um, several hours ago, uh, we should read Hugo-nominated short story "Proof of Induction" by Jose Pablo Iriarte. Which Iriarte? Never heard of him. I don't know either. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm going to go with Iriarte. Um, so yeah, but you you might notice a theme here, uh, and no, that theme is not that they're both Hugo-nominated. It's <laughs> They're about death and grieving, yeah. but also Hugo, Hugo nominated. For best death and grieving. <laughs> yes, best death and grieving short stories. There you go. Well, well, until we're done with our death and grieving here, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast.